I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mmm. Happy Sunday. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm I'm good. I'm not even hungover. Oh, you were out last night? At Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. The, a celebration of Madonna's uh, latest uh, revolution around the sun at Akbar. At a homosexual establishment called Akbar mm-hmm. in Silver Lake. <clears throat> yeah. Which was, is the bar I like. It was crowded. It wasn't, you know, I think I went there that same night in 2019, and it was way more packed. Um, it was busy, but it wasn't, uh, you could still kind of shimmy. Oh, well, good for you. Okay. <clears throat> RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 6, Episode 9. <laughs> the challenge was uh, revolving around that world of wonder cartoon drag bots which have you seen that before i tried we have a world of wonder subscription so i um you know i tried to sample all of their offerings it's not for me but in general i don't um oh okay in general i don't like animation but that makes me think remember that animated little series called unicorn planet the brazilian thing no oh uh Oh. Where there's like a gay, like all the unicorns are gay and one of them is named Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, vaguely. I don't, I, animation I do appreciate, but I usually don't like, you know, cartoons for children. Uh, Well, so, you know, Dragbots is a more adult. Is it? But it's not, from what I recall, it, it, I don't know, something like Planet Unicorn, that's what it's called. Um, Something more subversive and... Well, you know I like. Yeah, that works for me, but Dragbots didn't catch my attention. Anyway, this episode, they each of the remaining five had to create a char- uh, a character. Also, it uh, to me, it... You know, because I don't watch that. And just looking at it... Is, is, so it's... Cartoons that are, you know, female presenting with male voices. They're drag queens. R- right. Yeah. But I mean, just, like <laughs> that's, the, that's called a drag queen. <laughs> but, the illu- the, but the illusion is, uh, there's something lost in that uh, I'm sure format. people like it. I, it. It's not for me, but the challenge was cute enough. Um, Raja ends up winning. Her uh, character was, now I forget the name, like... I See You Queen. Oh, I See You Queen, and talking about like embracing being different. Mm-hmm. She looks great in her signature purple. Mm-hmm. She lip syncs against Cameron Michaels to a very sleepy song by someone I don't know called Charlie XCX. Yeah. You know, when I used to go to a gym years ago, um, the gym has like a music video channel mm-hmm. that's like, because I used to go to LA Fitness. Like, that was the last gym I was a member of. They have, like, an LA Fitness channel that plays music videos. And I noticed that a lot of the artists there were, like, people who they would play a lot. But I don't know that are particularly popular. Mm-hmm. And I think I recall Charlie XCX being one of those video artists. But anyway. A very sleepy, li- sleepy lip sync. I mm-hmm. thought Raja threw the lip sync. Like, she didn't try because she didn't want to win. And... She didn't want to have to send someone home. Potentially. Which is a strategy. Um, also, it's just a, it was a boring song. It's just a boring ass song. Boom, clap, or I don't know. Maybe she just wasn't inspired. But uh, the, the group sends home Eureka. Which, with only four people voting, it's like, well, only two of them had to pick Eureka. So I'm anxious to see 
in the next episode who chose her. Because when, when the group gets smaller, it's like, you know, you can really take shit personally. Yeah. Um, mini challenges. I don't generally like the mini challenges, except like the reading challenge. But they did something new this episode where they um, sort of were in like a classroom setting. And then RuPaul had them all sort of vote on like superlatives that would mm-hmm. be appropriate for um, each of the queens. I actually thought that was a fun mini challenge. Yeah, it was. And uh, um, also, I, I don't know that any of them know what superlatives were. Uh. Well, they figured it out. Um, the We started watching Drag Race Holland. Yes. And I we, we watched the first two episodes. I really liked the first season of Drag Race Holland. Yeah, I like Fred. And Fred is really great. He's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um and the queens seem just, I don't know, they just seem really interesting. Like, good personalities. I liked the combination of queens. I don't have it pulled up, so I don't know everyone's names. But just right off the top, um, there is a trans woman competing. Mm-hmm. And then there's an older gentleman, like 48. Is that... Um... Who I thought looked like Tony Savalas. Oh, tell it. Telly Savalas, I Telly? think. Is yeah. it Telly Savalas? Uh, Kojak. Yeah. Um, but right away, straight out the gate, he says, like, it's not fair. You have an advantage because you don't have to tuck. You don't have to pad. You don't have to, like, do your eyebrows, shave your face. And initially it was like, ooh, like, I can't believe you're saying that. But then I thought, you know, I appreciated that he brought up something that I know people think. And it ended up being that he does have a... Um, uh, Love for her. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I think it's just one of those things that's a little bit out of ignorance, obviously, because there are plenty of cis uh, men that have advantages like that because maybe they don't have a lot of facial hair or blah, 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 or they're just, you know, thin and pretty as it is. Like, I think that... Well, he said that because they were told they had, like, what, 30 minutes to get ready? This is before that, even. This is before that challenge. The, the, The photo challenge? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I thought it was in response to them having a mini no, challenge. No, it was unprovoked, an unprovoked response. Okay, <clears throat> if if you're being told you only have 30 minutes to get ready, and part of your drag is to create the illusion, then for someone who doesn't have to create the illusion, that is an advantage. But I would argue that part of being a good drag entertainer is not just the aesthetic. Well, because you can be pretty and look natural, but it's like if you're not funny or entertaining, then well, who cares? But, but right, but what? So it gives you an edge in a reality competition show to already look like a woman. But out in the you know the real world, if you're performing as a drag artist, you generally are taking all the time you want to get ready for your performances. Yeah, but it, but 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 they're not talking about it in the real world. They're talking about it on a competition reality show, and I do think there is some. I can see why people would think that, like, oh well. But the reality is, you can be busted. Mm-hmm. And be a very entertaining drag queen. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bob the drag queen. <laughs> you know, like makeup doesn't have to be your... Yeah, your makeup doesn't have to be perfect, and you don't have to. You know, a lot of these queens don't pad. Yeah, right. Evie Oddly mm-hmm. doesn't really pad, and I mean, they're built like sticks, and mm-hmm. they're still great drag queens. So I think the argument is kind of lame. Like, yes. Like you're trying to excuse the fact that maybe you didn't excel next to this person, but anyway. Looking forward to more episodes of Drag Race Holland. Also, I think Fred Donami looks like Anita Ekberg in drag. The face is great, but Fred 
Yeah, he doesn't like to. Speaking of pad, he doesn't pad or cinch, and it, he's just a. But he's built like a Tetris block, and it is so distracting to me. But he is my favorite part of the that franchise. Lastly, I was going to say, Drag Race Holland season one and the first two episodes of this one have great music. Yeah, which I'm sure is due to um, licensing. Oh yeah, like international mm-hmm. licensing allows them to get better music. And they also paid their awards are less, but they paid the drag queen. Yeah, they're paying them fifteen thousand euros. Euros, like oh, okay. Um, also, I'm always, I'm still struck by, after watching all these things, outside of the U.S. and Canada, so North America, uh, how kind of warm and less overly produced people feel and come across in, in these sports, like uh, Drag Race UK. Um, Maybe not Drag Race Australia because I didn't that I couldn't stand. But uh, Drag Race UK and and Holland, it's just like oh these people very personable. Yeah, they don't seem so. Uh, so they don't they don't seem like they're competing personalities. Mm-hmm. They seem like they're just competing for a prize. But like they're 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 individuals and they well don't. there's like a little kindness and empathy and then they seem kinder. I completed America's Next Top Model cycle twenty two. You sure did. I sure did. <clears throat> My only, so I was thinking it's such a shame that that production team, the, like the team who put that cycle together, because that was the last cycle of America's Next Top Model and the biggest, like the most production. Value. Oh, that was the last one? That's the last one, yeah. Um, it's a shame that that was like the, like the talented group of people who put that show together were wasted on Tyra Banks yeah. because <laughs> just even like the, the, like the production of it, like, the challenges and how they scored it. It all felt very like legit. And I think you didn't like the pacing of it, but Oh God, it feels so long. Yeah. When I feel like, because Tyra, like when she's on, they drag it out, but the actual challenges and the way they do the photo shoots, I, I thought it was really well done. It's, you know, it's just a shame that it's wasted on like a modeling competition well, right. show where they're saying these asinine things to people like make your neck longer and don't look, look, um, explosive or you're you're giving me angles. Uh, you that's my face shape. But yeah, okay. it's just like so stupid. But um, kudos to the people who um, produced it. All the editors and the lighting and the makeup. I mean, they do an excellent job. They did. It, it's just funny observing, especially I think after years of Drag Race now and eliminated queens, watching these models being eliminated and their reactions of. Like, my dreams are over. and Yeah. <laughs> just like, geez. But how about just be thankful that you got to be on TV? And Then I went on a... Because Niall DeMarco won that cycle. And then I started watching a bunch of his... I watched all of his uh, performances on Dancing with the Stars. Which is so amazing. I mean, this may seem ignorant. But it, to me, it was amazing that a person who can't hear and was born deaf um, can dance so well. Like to a like a beat i see i think that you that doesn't surprise me because you have to have such a different awareness of your body because your body is the tool of communication right and that does make sense to me so i I would love to hear him talk about how he was able to because he looks like oh yeah he looks like a dancer that's great yeah so that's crazy but good for him and i didn't know he was gay watching like peripherally watching top model yeah he's a he's a, a a queer uh, what do you think about Benefer 2.0? I have only seen headlines, and it's just annoying. Like, leave those two alone. Who cares? 
She's, <gasps> you know, she's done lucky in love. She's, it's, something's going to happen and they're not going to be together. Like, <laughs> she, <laughs> I don't know that, I think Jennifer Lopez is, I do like watching her on screen. I think she's beautiful. Her music, some of it's okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to do well with men. And I think part of it is because of the, she's always in, it's always in the media. Like, just go. I would agree. I think that. You know, she's clear, like, her track record is not the best, and she seems, I mean, she's a beautiful woman, talented, probably not easy to get along with, but the fact that she makes her relationships, by default of her just being an a A-list celebrity, so public. But then you think, you know, there are a lot of A-list celebrities who we don't hear about. And you know, they're know. not tablet. you know, George Clooney, um... Julia Roberts. I mean, a number of A-list people are able to keep their relationships relatively low-key. Yeah. Primarily because they're not out and about for the paparazzi to take photos of. They don't live in L.A. or New York or Miami. And Jennifer Lopez just loves being in L.A., New York, and Miami. And oh, all. yeah. It's like, why are you at Zara's at the Grove? Like, why, yeah, and why are you, like, on, like, yeah, all, like, all the photo ops with her and... And I know you could argue, like, she should be allowed to go to the store if she wants to, but it's kind of like, well, I mean... Well, yeah, you feel like, it's like Beyonce at Target. It's like, just let, could you just let her go to Target? Let that lady buy some toilet paper. Like, um, And then, what about Johnny Depp, you were telling me? Oh, I think San Sebastian, and I can't remember if another film festival, are honoring him with some Lifetime Achievement Award, and everybody is up in arms. Like, lots of statements from... uh, uh, women directors like that are also at the festival, etc. Uh, and everybody's very uh, displeased at the optics of it. And I think the head of the San Sebastian Film Festival came out to say, like, well, he hasn't really, he hasn't been charged or arrested or. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I agree that it doesn't. It's like why why are you picking him now? Yeah, but for a lifetime achievement award. I, but at the same at the same time, it's like well. He, sure. Uh, Why I, not? It's great PR. I'm what, not in, What uh, entity is giving him this award? The San Sebastian Film Festival. And who's checking for the San Sebastian Film Festival? Well, if you know, if you know films and festivals. I mean, I'm a highly decorated film critic, and I don't know what that is, but okay. But, well, it's a thing. They they. Had but now there. that Johnny Depp is attached, like from a, a marketing and PR perspective, I think it does make sense well, to give him the award. You should know what it is because Sigourney Weaver is the face of their cover for this season and she was given the same award several years ago oh well there you go but uh this is they give out you know because every film festival their award that they when you said san sebastian initially i thought you were talking about sebastian stan (laughs) (laughs) so when you file stan sebastian (laughs) no uh oh but you know how every film festival has their like the the can is the golden palm and Locarno's the Golden Leopard, and Berlin's the Golden Bear. The Golden Bear, and Venice is the Lion. Uh, San Sebastian's is the Golden Seashell. Gay. <laughs> well, let let Johnny oh, Depp collect his little Golden Seashell. I mean, I'm kind of anti cancel culture. We shouldn't just be canceling things just because, or like, let's look at facts and figures and blah blah blah. But at the same time, it's like, why Johnny Depp? At because this... it's great PR of all the people, though. Because it's great PR. I, I think it's a great uh, 
De like decision plus who else they're going to give it to the other thing about these things is who can you get to show up to receive yeah, it true 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 but so your options may be limited like how many a-list people are like yeah let me go fly down to san sebastia or wherever it is located and where where, where is this award given san sebastian here oh you don't know that's good um so yeah like who else are they going to get at that level so to, to me, it makes perfect sense. Pick a controversial figure because it doesn't really put a stain on the entity itself as much as like just run Johnny Depp through the ringer. But we can move on. Um, and then you'll get back to me on that information. Ryan Murphy, um, I just read, is he's like they're doing two spinoffs of the American Story series. It's in the Spanish city of Donostia, San Sebastian as... Oh, so I wasn't that far off. San Sebastian. San Sebastian. <laughs> um, Ryan Murphy's doing uh, two spinoffs of the American Story franchise, American Sports Story and American Love Story. The American Sports Story is going to be about Aaron Hernandez, the football player who was convicted of murder and then killed himself. Mm -hmm. And then the American Love Story is about the affair between John F. Kennedy and Carolyn Bissett. Is it that it? Uh, yeah. Is that her name, Carolyn Bissett? I don't know. I don't oh. remember. Don't quote me. Um, um, so sto stories of stories of stories of stories. Well, I really liked uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace, and I really liked the People versus OJ. Yeah. Yes. So, and the Aaron Hernandez situation is very fascinating to me. Yeah. Like the details. Like actually, I forgot all about it, but yeah. Yeah, uh, was very fascinating. So I think that'll be interesting. The JFK one, I mean. You know, I am curious about the Clinton Lewinsky. I think the first trailer dropped for that. Oh, with Beanie Feldstein as uh, Monica Lewinsky. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to watching that, but I, I have to admit I'm a little Ryan Murphy'd out. And are you? Yeah, I mean, it's he's good at some things and terrible at others. Yeah, but you uh, don't have to watch all this stuff. I don't watch any American horror stories, well, so I feel I like mean, those are no gouda. Well, they're not scary to me, so but. I mean, I have watched several episodes of different and, seasons. Yes, and but... there are performers here and there. You know, I'm a Jessica Lange fan, and uh, and Angela Bassett, and Kathy Bates. So you know, the witch, the Coven season was entertaining. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't think I'm Ryan Murphy'd out. I just am selective. Like uh, Ratchet or Hatchet Ratchet. was a rat. It was called Ratchet or Hatchet. Ratchet, because it's nurse, rat nurse Ratchet. Oh, it's not Nurse Hatchet. No. Okay. Well, I said Ratchet, and I thought that can't be right. Ratchet, I didn't think was any good either. But again, like lots of peripheral females. Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone and Judy Davis as Nurse Bucket. Uh, and I thought the boy without arms and legs was like a, a a really weird... Yeah. Whatever. I didn't think Ratchet was great, but obviously I really liked Pose. Season 3 was garbage, but I liked Pose. Um, yeah, he, he he does good stuff sometimes. He's talented sometimes. Yeah. Uh, moving on, you wanted to talk about the Locarno Awards. Oh, the Locarno Film Festival, which is why I didn't really have a time to watch a lot of things this week because... We don't have any movies to discuss this week because we didn't watch any outside of the things we reviewed because you've been busy with Locarno. And Fantasia, but mostly... Not Fantasia Barino. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, which we'll be talking about... Well, let's save it. Okay. Talk about Locarno. Uh, <laughs> well, their awards were handed out yesterday. And um, I, I saw 21 films from the program. 
and I saw all but two of their competition films. And of course, both of those films won awards. Um, so, but they're actually will be part of the TIFF program, so we'll probably catch up with them then. But the winner of the Golden Leopard was uh, a film by an Indonesian filmmaker named Edwin. Um, this is his first film in almost a decade. Uh, Vengeance is mine, all others pay cash. Oh, hey. Uh, which, as I said, I haven't seen, uh, of course. But I was a little surprised at the, as I usually am, at the awards being doled out. Uh, because my two favorite ones were After Blue by Bertrand Mandico, um, which I believe I talked, I told you about, uh, kind of a science fiction, gender-bending queer film uh, set on this alternate planet where only women can survive. Absolutely loved that film. Uh, and also uh, Alexander Zelovich's Medea, which I know were films I both anticipated, but I also really liked that. Uh, a contemporization of of course, uh, the Euripides Greek tragedy set in modern times. Um, I also really liked, uh, there weren't a lot of women directors in the uh, competition, but one of them whose film went unawarded was uh, Orly Georges, uh, it's a French film called Secret Name. It's based on a Wilkie Collins novel who, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, Wilkie Collins was one of those authors I read, like, with, alongside Robert Louis. Robert Louis Stevenson and um, uh, Washington Irving and uh, had a, a sense of, like the Moonstone I think is his biggest, his most well-known novel, but uh, it, it's about this nurse on the front lines who uh, basically is homeless until she's taken in on the, at the Red Cross to be a nurse and this woman, this, this socialite dies in front of her and she takes her identity, <laughs> but hmm. it ends up that she was just paralyzed and didn't die and comes back. Oh God. <laughs> That just the sli it's it's a early kind of form of identity theft, and of course the stuff of many great film noirs uh, and later American comedies, uh, which uh, in starring Sabine Azima, who uh, used to be married to uh, Elaine Renee. Uh, yeah, I really liked that film. Uh, the film that won the second place prize was a Chinese film called A New Old Play. I also really liked that film, uh, and a, a surprising one that was not in the competition called She Will, starring Alice Kriege as this woman who uh, kind of discovers witchly powers after a double mastectomy uh, and takes revenge on the director that basically raped her as a child, uh, played by Malcolm McDowell. It felt like one of those films like, oh, this feels like something just made made for me, but uh, oh, I, I... Made for now, not uh, tomorrow. Oh, yes, Janet. And uh, Daddy Janky. Daddy Janky. Uh, so those are those are more or less my top five favorites of the fest, uh, and also shout out to this Nigerian film, a kind of an omnibus called Juju Stories. What is um, omnibus? Like several different shorts. Oh, in one segment, like you know, an omnibus film, like. Okay. Usually with something featuring different directors that is a thematically related uh, film altogether. Like an anthology type thing. Yes. Um, and this was... There were things that, that I liked, especially two of the segments that I really liked. Oh, and I was not crazy about Abel Ferrara's new film starring Ethan Hawke. Uh, and Abel Ferrara took home Best Director. I think that, you know, that's why I was irritated at the awards. Like, of course he is, uh, you know, if you... Uh, agree with auteur theory like every film of his has a, a certain 
look and stamp to it, cause, and he got this guerrilla style filmmaking. So it, it's no surprise to me that he made a COVID film uh, in Italy, in Rome, uh, but I just didn't like it. Out of all the things you could have awarded, like I, I think I'm just irritated after Blue didn't win anything. Um, so yeah, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. There's still a couple things I want to catch up with from that fest, but yeah, it's, there it is. It's over, and we're headed towards Venice. Have you seen Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah. It's like almost four hours long. Yeah, as are most of David Lean's films. Have, you, haven't, you haven't seen Dr. Zhivago either? No. Okay, today's topic was inspired by the movie Respect. Oh, actually, before that, I wanted to do... We haven't watched it yet, but I, I keep forgetting about it. Is this new series on Netflix called Brand New Cherry Flavor. Oh, God. Um, which I believe is about vampires, but... Back in, around the time of Alien Resurrection in 1997, Sigourney Weaver had the rights to that uh, and was going to have it made, and it never got made. But now okay. it's a TV series. Like, oh. at, at one point, I remember it rumored to be she was interested in directing it to star Winona Ryder um, at that period. But anyway, Catherine Keener's in the series. I, I do kind of want to make time for that. Well, we might as well mention as well, um, we are... Um, we are watching a new Hulu miniseries called Oh yeah, that's Nine Perfect Strangers. Mm -hmm. And we're recording the videos and dropping them as the episodes drop. So there are eight episodes total. Mm -hmm. We've already watched four. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for anyone just yet, but that's the thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. So today's topic was inspired by the movie Respect. Mm -hmm. Uh the story, uh, a story of Aretha Franklin starring Jennifer Hudson. An which, Aretha Franklin story. <laughs> an Aretha Franklin story, which we gave an okay review to. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's great. It it's very not. much feels like your standard... I mean, it feels like you're reading a Wikipedia entry for Aretha Franklin mm -hmm. from the years 1952 to 1972. Yep. So there's no angle to it. But I think before we talk about what makes for a good biopic, maybe you should give us your definition of a biopic. Well, and the reason I'm asking is because we, I think, at the same time, both looked up like best biopics, and then we saw this uh, stacker list of the 100 best, and many of the films on here to me don't seem like they qualify as a biopic. Yeah. So go ahead. To, to me, it, it, as the term suggests, a biopic is a you know a biographical motion picture of either somebody's entire life or a, a, a particular period of time in their life, meaning that they're the central driving force of that story and also would most likely be somebody that's part of the cultural zeitgeist at some point in time uh, and also probably played by somebody of equal or greater renown than themselves. Uh, and I think that it's also strangely wrapped up in our increasingly archaic notions of a biopic is something that's awards glory fodder and uh, kind of films that are chained to a certain uh, conventionality that <laughs> as as I think with something like respect, you know, we we need to get away from. And I think there are several issues for why something like respect kind of fails big time for me. Uh, but yeah. Okay, so what makes for a good biopic? Or, and then also, I guess we have to talk about why something like Respect felt mediocre. To me, to take such a, like, enormous figure, mm -hmm. 
which I guess now sounds like I'm being shady because she was obese, but <laughs> to take to take such a popular figure, mm-hmm. I, an icon, an icon, a legend, like Aretha Franklin, it does take like a you need to have a special angle in order to tell a story of hers because it's impo- it would be impossible to make a film that encompasses like all of her career and all of her accomplishments. Well, because respect, like you brought up a good point when we were talking after, I think we recorded the review, is if you aren't familiar with Aretha, if she were, if this were a fictional character, if this were a fictional narrative and you watched this film leading up to 1972's recording of her Amazing Grace album, she wasn't in a good place as a person or mentally or... No. And, and so the message that the film gives, you know, with all the various subtitles about her later achievements is like, if if this were a fake character, this would be read to filth for being... Uh, problematic. Well, and I think what I was also trying to get at is with films like this, I always think, what if you didn't know the subject? Would the story that's told reflect how we know this person to be a notable figure? So an example would be Respect. Like, if you don't know Aretha Franklin and you watch Respect, you would think that she's this feeble, meek woman with an amazing voice who's like sort of lost, like doesn't really know where she wants to go. But in reality, we all know Aretha Franklin to be the queen of soul, who is actually very um, assertive Mm -hmm. and uh, steadfast. And catty. And a little shady. Mm -hmm. So it's like, the yeah, if if you don't know that and you watch Respect, you would, your image of like, oh, well, it ended in 1972. This lady died in 2019. Mm -hmm. Like, what was her career like? You, you you would assume that she wouldn't have had the career she had. Or, like that David Bowie docu- uh, movie we watched, Star- Stardust. Stardust, which I know is like somewhat fictionalized. Yeah. But still, it's like, it doesn't paint David Bowie in a way that reflects how we know him as a notable figure. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key. With something like Selma, taking a moment in history that he was integral in, MLK... It does, like, you could take that and um, extrapolate, like, like the DNA of that person is in that film. Right. So you could take that film and, you know, it could be part of a puzzle that would tell a very accurate story of what this person ended up meaning to the people. Right. So I, I think that's what makes a great biopic. Um, but then, you know, we talked about so many examples uh and we talked about so many things that I feel lost, but the first thing that just popped into my head are there are a couple of, of examples of biopics that star the subject. Yeah. And the first one that comes to my mind is the Fantasia Barino story, Life is Not a Fairy Tale. Which was directed <laughs> by Debbie Allen, I believe. And yeah. And uh, premiered on Lifetime, and I think at the time was like their number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it a good movie? No. No. <laughs> but here's another thing. And again, this is all going to probably relate back to Respect. It's very clear watching Respect that Aretha Franklin, who had handpicked Jennifer Hudson to play her and had spoken to her many times about the movie, wanted her story told in a very specific way. Yeah. Let's gloss over certain things, make sure everyone knows I was down with MLK. You know, like very specific things that needed to be told and things that needed to be um, quieted. Which doesn't make for a very, like, I mean, obviously authentic narrative, but 
So it's hard to trust, right? When you watch something and it's like, well, how do we know we're not being fed a spoonful of whatever? Well, it's a PG-13 film. Nobody has a PG-13 life. Well, there you, you know? go. That, that could be a tagline. But Fantasia Barino, starring in her own movie, even though it's not like a well-acted movie, it is very... I mean, it's more gritty than respect. Yeah. I mean, her Strangely. being raped, being a teen mother, not graduating high school, being functionally illiterate, all her insecurities. And it's believable because the person we're talking about is starring in the movie. Um, or, so, so it lends it some credibility. Also, I think of uh, Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling, Richard with Richard Pryor, yeah. who stars in it. it. That's also a very gritty film. Yeah. But he's very open about his... Uh, upbringing and his mother working in a brothel and his issues with drugs whatnot although it doesn't cover his sexuality no but but again but that it, was what 86 sure so yeah was it 86 it was in the 80s yeah so that's interesting but maybe the first thing we could talk about is just like well the the, the credibility of a lot of these biopics because liberties are taken right they in, you should oftentimes. never you should never assume anything is fact in a film, anything that, you know, you, it should also, you should probably verify in other sources that aren't just Wikipedia. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think what kind of allows for a more successful biopic is something where they, the, the subject isn't so well known that there isn't such, uh, they aren't so well documented that the liberties taken, uh, allow you to still kind of escape into the performance of this person that they're imbuing them with a, a portrayal uh, in essence of another human that we're not so distracted because say like I'll, I'll throw two recent examples well recent my week with Marilyn where Michelle Williams is Marilyn Monroe which only in certain shots where nothing's moving on screen is that believable or uh, Renee Zellweger is Judy Garland neither of which I saw so I can't really comment on their performances but i i tend to agree that i think the actor playing the individual could overshadow or distract which you know but then i understand why actors like these roles because it's like oscar bait well yeah oh Renee but that Warner's was a second oscar but that was a big conversation we had because to be fair when i think of acting because i'm not an actor but when i think of the art of or the craft of acting i think about an individual embodying a character or a person, mm -hmm. which is very different from, you know, so like, uh, what was I talking about? Death of a Salesman. Uh, Willie Loman. Willie Loman. Like how many people have portrayed Willie Loman? Oh, I was gonna, and then I, you know, Shakespeare. Or Shakespeare or a number, like many familiar characters we know. To me, uh, taking on that role, that is what acting is. Like an interpretation of a, of a character that we know. Or a historical figure, celebrity, whatnot. Versus something like, you know, Kevin Hart and the Wedding Ringer. You know, that, <laughs> that you know, I'm not saying that's not acting, but it's, it's, it's something different. So I, I can appreciate why oftentimes actors who portray notable figures or individual or characters who have some sort of disability often get attention. Because that is like, to, I mean, to me, that is what acting is. So, yeah. but it becomes there. Sometimes that turns into impersonation and even caricature, which again can be tricky because there are many examples of people trying to be. Like I'm thinking of uh, Oliver Stone's W, 
where like Tandy Newton was Condoleezza and like there are a lot of uh, performances in that are that feel distracting. Distracting. Like it's a car- it becomes a caricature. Um. So then maybe we should just talk about some popular biopics and like your thoughts. Well, in cre- while we watch Respect, I wanted because it only comes to life. Jennifer Hudson only comes to life when she's singing because right. that is that is her tool, right? And when she the rest of the time she's trying to mimic Aretha's speech patterns, which are it comes across this it needs a mystery science theater treatment in those parts because it's terrible. And it's like just say the lines, just say we're already here watching you play Aretha. Just say the lines in your normal voice. Don't do that staccato blah blah blah. Um, but it, it's almost like I wanted Jennifer Hudson only to portray Aretha performing, and then kind of like the Todd Haynes, Bob Dylan hybrid biopic, uh, I'm Not There, uh, where all these various different people are playing Bob Dylan at different stages in his life. Uh, I wanted like a different woman to play Aretha, like somebody that's kind of diminished and downtrodden uh, to juxtapose with Aretha as Jennifer Hudson. Yeah, that could have worked. Or like I was thinking take like the biggest moments in her career and have different actors portray her. Cause there are a lot of questions that were not answered, but this is not a, anyway, a, anyway. a respect podcast, but um, I thought it might be fun to see if you recognize, I pulled up a list of like the 10 worst. Okay. And if you've seen these and what are your thoughts? Uh, so this uh, list is based off of like rotten tomato scores. So number 10 is something called Klimt. Oh, about with the, John uh, Malkovich about oh, the Australian painter. I have not seen that. You've not seen that. Okay, so we'll move. What on. year is that? Uh, oh, I don't know. Oh. Um, <laughs> number nine is Liz and Dick, which oh, I have seen. With, that, with that's Lindsay. where Lindsay Lohan plays Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, that is pretty bad. <laughs> and her just screeching. But that was made for television. It was, well. but I don't know that. Like, you know, well, can you think of a made-for-TV biopic that is? Good. Good. Well, I mean, what's love got to do with it was meant for television. Oh, sure. Uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, oh, number eight is the uh, Steve Jobs movie Jobs starring um, Ashton, Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. I did see that. That was at Sundance. That was not good. <laughs> it was hokey. <laughs> it was hokey. It was not good. Number seven is the Audrey Hepburn story that starred Jennifer Love Hewitt. Also, I believe that was made for television. I remember it because that came out shortly after or around the time of Heartbreakers. Oh, okay. Number six is I Saw the Light, which is Tom Hiddleston portraying Hank Williams. Oh, is that like 2007? I think I remember. I didn't see it. Number five is All Eyes on Me. That was that Tupac story. Yeah, I did. we have a copy of that. It's not good. I think part of the problem, is it the music? I don't remember it's the music. There, I remember Jada Pinkett coming out and being upset about her portrayal as well. It's just... Again, like if if you had no idea who he was and you watched that film, you'd, you'd be like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. Well, I you know I shouldn't comment. I don't quite. But recall. you know what? I don't think Biggie's uh, notorious from '09. I don't think that's a very good biopic either. No. Number four is Alexander, where Colin Farrell uh, portrays. Oh, and then Angelina Jolie has that like Europia accent. Yeah, where she, <laughs> she's she also played Beowulf's mother, and she's doing the same thing there. Like I do recall liking Alexander. I have a very distinct memory of sitting in a hotel room in like I don't like somewhere random, like Tallahassee or something, and watching it in the hotel room. 
And, and I remember liking it. Oh, God, I remember hating Colin Farrell's hair. Hair, of course, it's and, terrible. And the accents, but also they cut out all the queer stuff. Remember but there's that some co- tension, and you know, at a certain point, it was like you cling on to anything, so I remember thinking, and Jared Leto, I thought, like, you know. But this, this was 2004, and I believe that would have, because this was before Brokeback Mountain, and that would have been the first studio film that had a gay kiss, a male kiss online, or on, on screen. Uh, I want to say that was what was being touted then. Oh. Number three is Against the Ropes. That's with Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. Omar Epps. She, yep, she's portraying a boxing manager. I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Number two is Diana. That was the Naomi Watts. Princess Die. Yeah. Yeah, which there's a new, a new biopic with Kristen Stewart as Diana called Spencer. And um, number one worst biopic on Rotten, according to Rotten Tomatoes, is Nina. That was the Nina Simone um, biopic starring Zoe Saldana in, in blackface. You know, <laughs> well, that, that's interesting because you know, she, Zoe Saldana is Afro Latina, so it's like she does have brown skin. It was made darker, I think. And they put a percentage. What made nose it on. worse was the nose, but then I, you know, it's like. And she did sing in that as well. It's it also suffers from not being a very good film. Um, I haven't. I'm sure someone can present to me um, an explanation as to why her portrayal of Nina Simone is so problematic. As I sit here thinking about it, I don't know that I think it's so problematic as much as I think it's just not good. And to overlook so many actors who have dark skin, who could have portrayed her more accurately without needing all to, of that, yeah, all, like all of that um, seems kind of pointless. And also like. Who was checking for Zoe Saldana? Because she had just done Colombiana. Is that right? Uh, is that in 2011? I remember it was delayed forever. But yeah, because it was before Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. Yeah, it's just like, why did it have to be her? Also, yeah. like, you know, in general, Nina Simone is a beautiful spirit. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think, why would you cast this woman who's... This skinny little woman. This skinny woman who's, you know, by a standard, you know beauty whatever is more attractive than nina simone to then like darken her skin i mean i I think that is kind of problematic but to call it blackface seems weird because i mean zoe saldana is a person of color like she is black she is but she's making herself darker i mean sure but i don't know that i guess i could be a someone needs to educate me on why i think it's weird like if i were to Don makeup to make myself look darker. It's like, well, what is the purpose? Well, I just think why I wouldn't feel comfortable doing since it. Since she's a person of color already, just just play it as you. Okay, put on a prosthetic. But uh, I guess that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, why, if you're gonna cast her, then why not just have her? It's not like you're playing a character with like a very dis like distinct physical features that no one could. No, Nina Simone looked like a regular ass black lady. Like yeah. there are many many people who played her. Could have played her. So, yeah, it's curious. Like, why cast why did... someone who's really not a match? She's not a match. Ethnically but... or, like... Yeah. <laughs> but also, just just she should just be her then. Because we do, you know... Uh, let, let, what Like Billie Holiday, for instance. Diana Ross technically didn't look like Billie Holiday. And Andre Day is cast as Billie Holiday to kind of mimic the image Diana Ross has in our head of, of Billie Holiday. You know what I mean? Like, so you might as well just have let 
Zoe Saldana play, Nina Simone as she is, she would have gotten laughed at and drummed out the house anyway. But uh, I, I think it just seems like such a slap in the face that we have to make this woman look darker. Um, because, uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I don't know that I have a fully formed... I'm very open to being educated on why it's so terrible. I just think it seemed pointless. Well, because it, I think it really does feed into that uh, that notion of colorism and that the hierarchy of lighter skin um, and light privilege. And I, I agree. I mean, that makes sense to me. It just, I, I, it's making a statement that's saying like, oh, I, you know, I'm even distancing myself as a performer by putting on this dark skin. It's like, well, well, sure, what you're saying makes sense, but I think, like, I'm just thinking for myself as a as a black person who is not as dark as some black people, would I, like, I'm trying to think under what circumstances would I feel like it's appropriate for me to don darker skin to portray something. I, I guess I would feel like, well, why not just cast a, a, a black man who's has the aesthetic you're looking for. It's not complicated to find someone well, who looks like me who's darker. Like, why why does it have to be me? And if it has to be me, then why can't it just be me? Well, but I, but, but again, if I'm playing a man who, you know, had half his face bit off by a dog and they need to make my face look different, that's one thing. But it's like, again, Nina Simone is a regular looking lady. It's not like, it doesn't take movie magic to find, to make someone look like right. her. So it just seems so weird, but I agree with what you said. It does have undertones at the minimum of colorism. Like even, even in depicting this darker skinned woman, who's not traditionally, you know, beautiful, we had to cast someone who is, and then make her look, and then make her look like this. Yeah. This like, like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, so that, I mean, that was just a bad choice all around from the filmmakers, but... What do you think about What's Love Got to Do With It? I have fond memories as a child, but I, I do agree that, you know, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, yeah, Angela Bassett is a little... Um, I think she gives a very good performance, but she's, you know, given it to you, and she is not... And Tina is a lot softer in reality than Angela Bassett, I think. What are some other uh, biopics that pop into your mind? Well, of course, uh, Gorillas in the Mist, uh, starring Sigourney Weaver. Oh, we talked about that. I think that's a good example. So they're obviously playing, you know, celebrities who whose aesthetic is very well known and their manner of speech and their, you know, physical, uh, like, abilities... It can be difficult because we're focusing on that. But then when you think of uh, what Diane Fossey, mm -hmm. um, we don't know her as much as we know her work. Mm -hmm. So it's like anyone could have played her. So Sigourney playing her wor worked so well because really the focus, like I'm like I'm assuming Sigourney Weaver wasn't trying to like emulate Diane Fossey in any way. She was. You know what I mean? Like she was in the role, like embodying the role, like her way. And I think it comes across so much different than if she had to be like, everyone knows that she like whomever tries to take on uh what's that lady's name from uh Vogue magazine, Anna Wintour, Anna Wintour, whose aesthetic is so, so it's like whomever takes on that role, it's going to be all about the wig yes, and being super skinny yeah, and having a very flat effect. But yeah, I think Gorillas in the Mist is a good example of a notable person who the public doesn't 
we don't really know them as a person. So you can do anything. And I think those tend to work better. Yeah. And I would also throw in there um, Francis, Jessica Lang, starring as uh, Francis Farmer, the actress who was lobotomized. Oh. Um, which she was nominated for an Oscar for, lost to Meryl. But that was the year she was double nominated, one for Tootsie. But if you've never seen Francis, uh, I do recommend that film. Um, because, again, Francis Farmer had a very short lived film career. She had a domineering mother. Excellent performance from Kim Stanley. And they, they'd lobotomize her. And then she actually was in a couple productions. After she was lobotomized. Oh, God. Like, clearly diminished. And I think Nirvana had a song called Francis Farmer Will Have Her Revenge on Seattle. Oh, God. I think it's the name of it. But, I, you know, as a kid, I was always interested in morbid things, and that was right up my alley. But, again, we don't really know Ms. Farmer, so I think Jessica did that Southern Belle neurotic thing she does so well. I do want to watch Lincoln, because I know Daniel Day-Lewis's performance is um, praised, but also I think he's... Abraham Lincoln is such a good person to do because we don't know what he was like. We don't know what how he walked and talked, and so I think, um, yeah, I, I I do actually want to watch Lincoln. There are do several, we have it? I uh, no, we don't. Oh. There are several good. Uh, I have other Lincoln films though because there are several uh, notable biopics about him, like Young Mister Lincoln. Um, you know, also Lincoln was written by Tony Kushner of Angels in America, um, and. Probably also of note here, too, is two of Daniel Day-Lewis's three Oscars are biopics. Um, have you seen My Left Foot? No. Oh, My Left Foot's really good. Brenda Fricker won Best Supporting Actress for that, uh, where he plays Christy Brown, um, who's got cerebral palsy, and I think he can only, only has the use of, as the title suggests, is My Left Foot, and he's an artist. Uh, and has, a, you know, they're an Irish Catholic family, and I think, I don't I want to say, I haven't seen the film in years, but he had, like, a large amount of siblings, like Brenda, the, his mother was always, she had just, I want to say like almost 60. I don't know. There was, there's a large number of siblings in that family. Um, since we're running close to time, why don't you uh, hit all the things on your list if I, if you missed any? No, I, I looking at that list you were looking at, um, the idea, Bonnie and Clyde doesn't sit with me as, in my mind, as a biopic. But I guess technically it is. But and all all around, just a fantastic film. Uh, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty, Arthur Penn to Gene Hackman. Uh, uh, what's her name as well? Who won an Oscar for it? I'm forget. I'm forgetting her name. Um, yeah, that Elephant Man. Um, um, I don't think Dallas Buyers Club is a biopic. Well, that's all fiction anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I mean. And, you know, we also spend time talking about the danger of creating these, telling these stories in a fictionalized way, and then audiences really thinking that this was, like rewriting history. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, what did I bring up the other day? Mary Queen of Scots with Margot Robbie as Queen Elizabeth and Saoirse Ronan as the titular beheaded queen. Um I really liked that film, and I love the score for it, But, which I have on my uh, gym mix. But uh, anyway, she they uh, posit in that film a scene where the two women actually met, when historically that, act, that really did not happen. But I mean, that's a very big liberty to uh, take. And yes, if you... Because most of us are only very casually interested in any one kind of arena in any regard whatsoever. So... And I, I am kind of a, a, a history buff in certain respects of certain periods and places. 
where I can be like, oh, that I can clock that. But there's a lot of things I watch. I don't have the time to look up. So, but in my mind's eye, I know I saw the film, and that sticks with you. And whether or not, you know, as a reasonably well-educated person, you know, I'd like to believe that I don't do that. But it does. It happens because it's it's in my mind that, oh yeah. Hmm. I remember Robin Williams as Polonius. What? <laughs> isn't that in Clueless? Anyway. You know, I didn't. I haven't... You haven't seen Clueless? No, and I've, I've tried to watch it twice now because it just popped up on, I think, Amazon? Or it's like Paramount? I, I don't know what it's on that I just Do you saw. not like it? or? I've started it like four times and then I just don't... Really? It's, yeah. It's... So I've watched the beginning several times now. So you don't like it? It's not that I don't like it. It just it doesn't really grab my attention. It's very of its time. I mean, I... I kind of have a feeling about Amy Heckerling's first movie, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which plays like, uh, uh, I'm not thinking of the word for it, a time capsule that uh, is interesting to watch, but as, as a film and considering the legacy of it, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I think it's, so as a, you know, as a teenager who was like funny looking and didn't have friends and got picked on a lot and I would just be in my head all the time like always by myself imagining like a different life and I think the show Beverly Hills 90210 mm-hmm. and then Melrose Place were very much like I I wanted to be like the kids in Beverly Hills 90210 like that lifestyle and then I wanted to be like as an adult like in co- like after college I wanted to be like the people in Melrose Place which is kind of funny because Melrose Place people don't have any money, but then the Beverly Hills 90210 kids do. So I think my impression of like high school, because my actual high school experience was not good, was like 90210. So I think watching Clueless is very unsatisfying. Like I don't like... Well, because it's about the popular kids and wealthy kids. Right, and, and so was 90210, but it just felt more real. Like, that could be a life that, like, people have. And Clueless just feels like... Also, I didn't find it particularly, like, in, like funny. I do like Paul Rudd. Sure. And Stacey Dash is gorgeous. Of course. Well, she... Yes, she is. But... Uh, but we all know. Yeah, we know she... of that. Well, she's kind of trying now to, you know, come back in the fold. Girl, it's not... No one's ever going to forget that. Well, but, you know, we need to learn how to let people do better, I guess. We, we do, but we're always... You know, everybody's always going to be kind of like, yeah, but Stacey Dash, she... Uh, I, uh, no, I can't see who she voted for. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you always know. You always know you got to question her... Uh, well, her judgment. well... <laughs> Um, you know two biopics that I have one of the only Spike Lee movies I've never seen is Malcolm X Um, and I think the length and just the gravity of it is like oh what kind of a mood do I need to be in to watch that and Gandhi (laughs) I've never seen well um, we could probably wrap it up unless there's anything else you want to talk about Uh, I also have to go number one Uh, okay (laughs) That's P, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, we've regressed. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? I had a couple. I'd, I'm reading Dune right now in anticipation of the Denis Villeneuve uh, film adaptation, which I hope to see in Venice. Uh, but I'm very entertained at Dune. Okay. Uh Again, I think the length was always intimidating. My mother always had like a vintage paperback of it as a kid. Um, but there, there are a lot of actually decent passages in here, uh, but I liked this quote. 
uh, the proximity of a desirable thing tempts one to overindulgence. Oh, <laughs> know all about that. Anything else? No. Toodaloo. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.